Well, we start this morning where we ended last week. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. Today we come to worship our our Trinity God and to learn more about Him. Uh, We'll be learning today about the Holy Spirit. So we've looked at we love God the Father, we love God the Son, and today God the Holy Spirit. But let's move from the divine and sublime to the ridiculous. I checked the mail this morning for church, and there's an ad for that we can publish our own Baptist cookbook. I thought that was quite fascinating. I wondered what a Baptist cookbook is. I think every recipe in there just adds three sticks of butter. That's my guess. That could be. That could be. Normal recipes just add three more sticks of butter. I just, but I wondered: is there is there a Presbyterian cookbook? (laughs) Is there a Lutheran, a Catholic cookbook? I. If or, there's money to be made, I'm sure there is. Uh, it was, well, it says here that we can make five hundred to fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand dollars. That's wow. a lot of butter. Anyway, <laughs> let's just put that away now. That was weird mail. Weird fascinating. Mail. Yeah. You get an email every week. It's called the weekend update, and when it arrives, you get to learn just not everything, but a few key things going on around church. And and we got some key things going on around church. So. Take it away. Yeah, big time ministry opportunity coming up for the people of Southfield. We are looking for volunteers to help serve our community. Uh, You don't even have to go anywhere except right here, which is really cool. We are putting out an outreach to the people of Shanahan um, and offering them a night of babysitting. So uh, this could be neighbors, family, coworkers that don't regularly attend Southfield. We're going to give them a Friday night where they can drop their kids off, be watched and entertained while they go out to dinner or go home and nap, which is, I know how I would use this if, if I was able to take advantage of it. Um, but in order for that to happen, we need it to be fully staffed. So we're looking for, for volunteers for that night. So if you have, if that sounds like something that you'd enjoy or, or would just like to, to help serve people from our area to try and draw them through the doors of Southfield, um, you can go ahead and register for that. And again, that's part of our growing deeper experience. So we have a couple experiences along the way, one that helps us to connect with God better and one that helps us to connect with serving people. And one of the things they're really pushing us toward this, this year is not just, not just doing something for someone, dropping it off, but actually seeing face-to-face and being involved. And this is one great way to get some involvement. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I today wore my Bears hoodie, not because our Bears are any good at football. No bears, no bills, no watch. That's me. Go ahead. But because there's no snow on the ground and it's hardly even cold out there, I had to remind myself that it is Super Bowl Sunday. And so we moved Revive. Uh, it's our annual tradition now to move it, uh, to move it from 6 to 8 up to 12 to 2. So right after this service, if you are in high school, we're going to encourage you to hang around, even if you haven't been coming um, or if it's even first time at Southfield. We would love to have you stick around. We're going to have a bunch of pizza, so we'll give you lunch, and then we're going to be working through uh, the next part of our our Dive Deeper book. Um, So even if you haven't started, that's totally fine. We we would love for you to stay with us, hang out, get some good pizza, play a few games, uh, and and then we'll we'll have you shipped out by 2 o'clock so you can go home to whatever your family does for the Super Bowl. Uh, another thing with students, we have a really cool opportunity from Dora and Sherry. They are going to be running a junior high girls Bible study. They're going to be studying the book of James. 
Uh, and that starts next week. So if you are a junior high girl, we would love for you to get signed up. If you have other questions about that, I know I've already spoken with Dora this morning, um, so if you can catch her, you can come talk to me, and I will walk you to Dora. Um, but, but we need you to get signed up for that. So what was their combo name used earlier? Was it Shore I, or Dairy? For service, I was I was not awake. Okay, it's been a rough week of sleep <laughs> with Emmett, and yeah. So as I was trying to say Sherry and Dora, I said Shara. So Shara, yeah, there we go. Yeah, or Dory. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, except I think that's already. A fish. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, just a really cool chance for our for our girls to get together on Sunday afternoons and, and study the Bible. Been jumping into some new, I think, really fun, exciting experiences. Last week in the first service, uh, we had a person over here that was that was signing for some people who are who are deaf. They're not, unable to hear at all, and so to be able to come and be a part of a worship service to experience community that way was really powerful. And we're it's not easy to do that like all the time because of the availability of people that sign. So we're kind of we're kind of diving into this, seeing what happens next week. First service, uh, we'll have that available again. So if you know someone who's unable to hear but signs, uh, you may want to invite them along. Again, that's during the first service. And the other thing we're working on that we're we're excited about is working at uh, Spanish translation. So. Got a device this past week. We're going to see if it works, see how the accuracy is and whatever. And then on top of that, even just mentioning that last week, we had a couple people who are uh, native Spanish speakers who said, hey, I'd, I'd be interested in doing some translating. So it's just, it's really exciting to see the way God is, is working through us to be able to reach uh, just a number of different people and ways with the with the gospel and with what happens here at Southfield. Yeah, so I think another reason, about uh, another part of the reason Claudia is not here this morning, uh, I know she was in first service, but you guys know the big words and phrases that he used last week. I think she might either be in therapy or still getting a brain massage <laughs> from having to work through all that. So, uh, so yeah, very good. Well, we're going we're gonna to head straight into the first part of what we've been doing every week with this series, and that is to talk about a heresy. And the reason we're talking about heresy is not because we want to believe in them, but because we want to know, we want to know what is not true. In knowing what is not true, it helps us to understand the truth better. And we also know that what may have been spread as a lie in the past has the possibility of coming around again. So a heresy, again, is not just a religious or a theological disagreement. This is a change of the nature of God, a change of the nature of the gospel to the point that if we believed in the God they were presenting or the gospel they were presenting, uh, we would not have God at all. We would not have the gospel at all. So, so that's classically what a heresy is. I want to look at a, a heresy today related specifically to the Holy Spirit, and it's called Macedonianism. So go ahead. Yeah, it's a fourth century Christian heresy that denied the full personhood and divinity of the Holy Spirit. According to this heresy, the Holy Spirit was created by the Son and was thus subordinate to the Father and the Son. So it's funny that part of this is true in that when you look at the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit is, uh, submits to the Father and the Son. The Son submits to the Father. They got that part right. What they got wrong is that He's not created. He was not created by Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have existed for all of time and will exist for all of time, for all of eternity. They are eternal in nature, one God. 
And, and I think what happens with these heresies in particular is people just have a hard time wrapping their head around Trinity. Mm -hmm. How in the world can you have three persons and yet those three persons are one God? Yeah, if it's your first Sunday here at Southfield, as we talk about the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, we've got some brown paper bags at the back that you can use to, to catch your breath. It's going to be, <laughs> it's a loaded morning. So, yeah. so here's the definition of Trinity. God exists uh, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. So as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, this third member of the Trinity, we're going to look at some of the other classic heresies that have been raised about the Trinity. Because again, people just don't want to accept God for who He is. And the first one's called modalism. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not distinct personalities, but different modes of God's self-revelation. A typical modalist approach is to regard God as Father in creation, the Son in redemption, and the Spirit in sanctification. In other words, God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit in different eras, but never as the triune God. So that's no different than me or you, according to this. You're, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a teacher, you're a youth pastor, uh, you're a Cardinals fan, you're all these things. You're one person, but you present in different ways at different times. And that's what they're trying to say. One person that's doing all these different things. But classic Trinity, three persons, one God. How about tritheism? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three independent divine beings, three separate gods who share the same substance. So again, unwilling, unwilling to accept one God. So they're polytheists. We're monotheists, one God. Polytheists, multiple gods. And then finally, partialism. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together are components of the one God. Each of the persons of the Trinity is only one part God, only becoming fully God when they come together. So we were yes together yesterday celebrating Shelley's birthday, and we were all together in the room. We're family when we're gathered. But if we took this uh, you know, to its extreme, we're not family when we're in the same room. We're only family when we're together, and that's nuts. All of these, all of these are heresies. So in order to combat heresy, this classic drawing was given, this diagram that's in your workbook, and, and it helps us to understand that God, Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God, but they're not each other. And in case you need clarification, let's give you some. Go ahead. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. Father, Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Son is the Father, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son. Excellent. You did that very well. So you see the way this works. They're not each other, but they are all God. And it couldn't be more definitive. Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus affirms it in Mark 20, 12, 29, and 30. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says of himself and the Father, I and the Father are one. When Peter is confronting Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, he asks them why in the world they lied to the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of the passage, he says, you lied to God. He's not talking about two different people. He's saying, you lied to the Spirit who is God. So very, very clear. Go ahead and give us this. In one sense, the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery that we will never be able to understand fully. However, we can understand something of its truth by summarizing the teaching of Scripture in three statements. God is three persons, each person is fully God, and there is only one God. So you can come up with, again, all kinds of analogies. People use everything from 
eggs to water to you name it to say, look, this is what the Trinity is. I think all of those pictures are helpful, but the fact is we are never going to fully wrap our minds around the beautiful mystery of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is accept and trust and believe what the Word of God has to say. As you're understanding, digging into the Trinity, what we find is that God is the same in being. He's the same in essence. And yet, there are differences between Father, Son, and Spirit. They have differences in function, for example. They have, they have different roles in creation. They have different roles in salvation. So they do different things, and yet they are one God. They're also different in authority. We mentioned this already, that the Father, the Father is the ultimate authority, and the Son submits to the Father. He said, I have come to do the will of Him who sent me. And the Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. And we see that again and again in Scripture. So there are a couple of passages, I, I think they were really helpful, where, where Peter and Paul both use the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in a single passage. So they're demonstrating the presence of Trinity, but they go ahead and talk about the different roles that they have in each. So why don't you start with verse 2 on that? Those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So there's God's role in salvation. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Spirit makes us holy. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. And it's Christ's blood that is ultimately gives us salvation. Pretty much the same thing here. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, there, there are a bunch of books available, but three that I really appreciate. One is, um, this is dense, okay? This is, this is tough. This is, it's by J.I. Packer, and it's called Keep in Step with the Spirit. And I'll tell you what, you read the first couple of pages, and already you know you're not just reading some a pop book or something. He, he goes deep and he goes fast. But if you're really looking to, to dig your teeth into the subject of the Spirit, this one's really good. Francis Chan, or Fran Chan as I like to call him, uh, wrote a book a few years back called Forgotten God. And the thing that's interesting about all three books, all different, written in different eras, you keep coming back to this same theme, and that is that the Spirit is kind of this neglected member of the Godhead, especially among evangelicals. We don't talk about him much, and we, and, we don't, and we don't lean into him much. So this one was really helpful. And then there's a book as well by A.W. Tozer, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that one is really short. I read it on Kindle, so I'm not really sure how long it is, but uh, I read it pretty quickly. But again, three different eras but they're all really doing a good job talking about the importance of the Spirit. Yeah, if you did your workbook this week, A.W. Tozer gave us one of those uh, quotes. And at the end of every pass, or at the end of every passage of the day, we are always asked the question, how did the quote help you to understand or apply this truth? And a couple, the, the first couple, I was like, what? What is it even? Like, that's difficult. Like, to, to, you're, you're trying to pull in Scripture, you're looking at a concept... What do you mean, this quote? Uh, for my small group at mm -hmm. Revive, it was helpful for us to, to kind of make some connections, knowing who the people actually were. So we've actually assigned, um, this week, assigned our, our group uh, to not do a big, long, you know, you're not creating a, an English class biography of, the, of that person, but just 
do a quick Google search of their name, figure out who they, who they are, what's their story, and how does that impact the things that they are saying about God or their experience with, um, with this week, the Spirit. So uh, really cool. If that's something that you want to bring to your journey group too, encourage it because it was good deal. brought some good stuff. So. Awesome. Thanks, Bray. As we move into the Holy Spirit this morning, I want to I mention something about just the way God works in our lives that I think is, is really fascinating, the way he reveals himself sometimes. He doesn't always do this, but sometimes he just says, I am here, don't miss this, don't miss this. So this past week, uh, late the week before, I was having a conversation with uh, Brenda Morell. She's uh, the per person in charge of finances at Green Lake, where we, where we go for our work trips and whatever, and I'm involved there as well. And uh, I was talking to her about some of the projects that need to be done around the, the, around the campus. There are a couple of dorm, uh, a couple of uh, houses that, you know, the buildings that the roof is getting close to 30 years old, and you're getting to that point that the roof, if it went, we'd have a big problem. But then you go inside, and the carpet is about 30 years old, and the carpet looks around 30 years old, smells around 30 years old, and has about 30 years of wear on it. And there's kind of this debate going on right now of, with what we have, do you replace the roof? Do you replace the carpet? You know, I'm kind of a roof guy, because if you don't have a roof, you don't have a carpet, you don't have a building. And other people are like, well, but the carpet, that's where we need to go. And I love this, because Brenda, much like Tara, who does our finances around here, is a person of, of good financial sound mind, but also a person of tremendous faith. And we're talking on this Friday afternoon, and she says, what we really need to do is go ahead with both and just trust God. And I'm like, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's amazing. That's awesome. So they get a bid over that weekend, and, and the bid came in at $286,000 for both of these roofs. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of money. They're huge roofs, okay? So, and a lot involved, but $286,000. Over the weekend as well, they got notification of a gift that came in for $287,000, a thousand more that's needed than it is needed to do the project. And, and I love that here she was, she was talking on Friday in tremendous faith, just saying, we need to trust God. And she meant it with all sincerity. And by the end of the weekend, uh, God provides enough and a thousand more so that we can afford a few extra nails. I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible. I'm not saying it happens that way all the time. But every once in a while, just God, God just does something to say, I heard you, I'm here, I'm listening. And so this morning, God, we engage with you, we love you, we want to understand more about you, we want to walk in relationship with you, we want to be people of faith, we want to trust you. God, I pray that you would help us as we, as we dig into the Holy Spirit today to learn more about him in order that we might walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you look at the Spirit, and we're going to just, we're going we're gonna to look at a lot about the Spirit today, and I'm telling you what, it's like, we're, it's like we're dipping our toe into the ocean. We're barely getting into this. In fact, I was really excited as I was doing study on this, this past week, sometime midweek, I commented to Kim, uh, I'm telling you what, one of our next extended series has got to be on the Holy Spirit. There's so much here. And all I'm going to do this morning is, is hit some highlights, and there's so much to understand, so much to dig into, especially God wants us to be living in relationship with the Spirit. So, so there's some things this morning, it's going to feel a little bit like a, you know, an appetizer, you're going to be like, I want more of that. Yeah, you'll get more. It's coming, just not quite yet. So what do we know about the Spirit? Well, as I look at the Spirit, three words come to my mind, and the first is the Spirit is mysterious. There is a mystery about the Holy Spirit, even just the name. Spirit, Holy Ghost, wind, 
fire. You hear these words, breath. You hear these words, and there's something ethereal about it. There's something that's not as tangible as father, son. I hear father. I hear son. I can imagine that I am a father. I have a father. My son's a father. I am a son. I get that relationship. And it would help an awful lot if the third member of the Trinity was God the daughter, or, or, or God the sister, or, or God the uncle. And at least I could understand it in terms of human relationship. But we have father, son, and then we have this spirit floating out here. And he's mysterious. And even as you read scripture passages about him, sometimes there's kind of a, a lack of clarity. And you're like, I want to learn more. I want to understand more. It's hard to grasp sometimes. Because of that, I think many times the spirit is misunderstood. You want to have a very confusing conversation? Go ahead and talk to some other evangelical friends sometimes about the Spirit. Talk to them about filling with the Spirit. Talk to them about baptism of the Spirit. Talk to them about spiritual gifts. And you start having that conversation. You're like, man, are we, are we reading the same Bible? What's going on here? And this is one of those points, again, that, that's not heresy to disagree, to have a different interpretation of the Word of God, as long as it doesn't change the nature of the gospel or the nature of God. But, but but we're not all in the same place when it comes to the Spirit. There's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to who the Spirit is, how He works, how He functions, how He functioned in the book of Acts, and how He functions today. I think also, and again, I mentioned it from the other books that I read, the Spirit is missing. Missing. And by that I mean a few things. One, the Spirit is missing in the American Evangelical Church. The spirit that was there in the book of Acts just doesn't feel the same as the spirit in the American evangelical church. And I think part of the reason that is true is because American evangelicals are pretty good at, at controlling the program. We're pretty, good at, we're pretty good at saying, God, we got the resources, we got the leadership, go take care of part of the world that needs your help, we got this. We got this. And the Spirit, the Spirit is uncontrollable. The Spirit is the one in control. And He takes things where He wants to take them. When I think of the Spirit, I think of this event in the life of our church. Some of you have seen this before. This is our church property, thanks to Google, prior to the building. And you see the big black spot in the middle. That's where Brian started the fire. So up by the green dots up there, there was a trash can. And Brian went out on a windy day in March, a La Nina winter just like this one. It had been dry all winter, and we told him, go do some burning, and he got the fire going a little bit too much. Some stuff jumped out of the can, and he said, I could see the fire racing under the grass and just starting to go. And before you know it, the whole place is lit up. He's calling me, there's a forest fire, and I'm, I'm driving over. I can see black smoke going. I'm imagining houses going down. I'm like, that's it. We're going to have to leave Shanahan and go to St. Louis. It's all over. We're in trouble. This is bad. I'm talking the whole church, not just us. We got to get out of here. You know, show up. Jerry Buronis is here. He was a firefighter at that time. He's reassuring Brian, you're not going to jail today. I, you know, it was, and, and you see the result. Fire is amazing. I mean, it can do amazing things. They refer to a controlled burn. I have no idea what a controlled burn is. Every time I do a burn, it's out of control. It goes crazy. There's, there's a piece of the spirit that we're kind of afraid of him. Because where is he going to go? What's he going to do? What's he going to ask us to do? What's the daring thing he might prompt us to do? And then there's a piece that sometimes we don't want to talk about it because there is disagreement about it. Because you'll, you'll be talking to someone and they've got theories on the Spirit. You're like, that's not the way I understand it. Can we still be friends? And so, and so we keep the Spirit over in kind of a safe place. But here's the thing. 
The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest or make known the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. The Spirit makes God known. And the Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation, the primary way God is made known. The Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the presence of the Trinity among us. He is the one who is the most prominently present with us right now in the church age. And yet at the same time, too often he's missing from our individual lives and from our life as a church body. From the very beginning of creation, we have an indication that the Holy Spirit's work is to complete and sustain what God the Father has planned and what the God the Son has begun. He has a work to do supporting the Father and the Son. At Pentecost, with the beginning of the new crea- with the beginning of our new creation in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to grant power to the church. And so it's through the Holy Spirit that we as believers and we as a church have the power to fulfill God's desires, those things that he planned for us long ago. We're empowered by the Spirit to do those things. So this morning, I want to look at two things. I want to look some at the identity of the Spirit, what he's all about, and then our relationship with the Spirit. As we look at the Spirit, we can distinguish four aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit to bring evidence of God's presence and to bless to bless in his world. And the first thing we see is that the Spirit purifies. It's a primary role of the Spirit to be a purifier of the believer. He purifies. Since this member of the Trinity is called the Holy Spirit, it is not surprising to find that one of his primary activities is to cleanse us from sin and to sanctify us or to make us, make us holy. Even in the lives of unbelievers, there is some restraining influence of the Spirit as He convicts the world of sin. When people become Christians, the Holy Spirit does an initial cleansing work in them, making a, a, defi- a decisive break with the patterns of sin that were in their lives before they were believers. In John chapter 16, in fact, from John 13 on through John 17, it's a passage known as the Olivet Discourse, final words of Jesus to his disciples, ending in a beautiful prayer in chapter 17. In that passage, he talks a lot about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in it, he reminds us in in chapter 16 that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world the world without God. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You see, it's the work of the Spirit and salvation to wake us up. The Bible describes us as dead in our trespasses and sin. We need to be brought to life. We, we need to be wakened up. We need to be, the classic word is quickened in order that we don't even want a relationship with God. And it's the Spirit that wakes us up to our sinfulness. And then Titus 3 tells us that He saved us, God saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done. It's not the list of good things that we can present to God and say, look how good I've been. You, you should have a relationship with me. You should allow me into heaven. It's not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the wash of rebirth saved us through the blood of Christ and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It is the Spirit who is the sanctifier. He purifies us. He makes us holy. That's a huge piece of his role in our lives. Sometimes we will be, we'll be convicted of sin. 
Conviction's a good thing. Guilt is a good thing. Some people want to wipe out all good, all guilt. Guilt is a good thing. Guilt is like the dummy light on your dashboard. You know, the dummy light comes on, it's engine, the engine light comes on. And you know what, you know what you're supposed to do when the engine light comes on? Go to a mechanic. You know what most of us do? Drive, drive, drive. We just, ah, engine light, engine light. There's no smoke. I don't hear any screeching. It's okay. Let's just drive. Let's just drive. The engine light in our life, guilt says, you've done something wrong. Wake up. Do something about it. Now, here's where the engine light goes bad. Sometimes you go to the mechanic. The mechanic says, yeah, nothing wrong here. It's just stuck on. It's okay. Ignore it. That's shame. It's a huge difference between guilt and shame. Guilt tells us we're sinful. Shame is living in our guilt. Shame, even after we've been forgiven, even after we've asked for forgiveness, we keep going back, bringing it up again and again and again, and God says, I don't want you to be living in shame. The dummy light's a good thing. It's a good thing. Guilt, pay attention to your sin, but you don't then live as a sinful person. You live as a person who's been forgiven by God. The Holy Spirit wants to cleanse, purify. The Holy Spirit also unifies. He is the great unifier of the believers. Ephesians chapter 4 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He says, My goodness, Jesus bought you with his blood. Live like it. Live like it. Don't ignore that. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Live like it. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I love this verse. It doesn't say, y'all need to work on getting some unity. Go find it. Put it together. He says, the Spirit's already given it to you. It's yours to lose. You have the unity. It's yours to lose. Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How do we do this? How does this work? He says there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called with one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all things. Be humble. Keep that unity. What is unity? What is it? You know, in our world today, in our culture, there is a great effort to unify people. But in reality, what they're not looking to do is unify. They're looking to get us to walk in lockstep uniformity. Don't have an opinion. Don't have an idea. Don't think. Just do what we say. Just do what we say. That's uniformity. That's not unity. You know what's beautiful about unity? Paul describes unity this way. The body's made up of a foot. The body's made up of a hand. The body has a brain. The body has an eyeball. The body has a toenail. The body has all these different parts. The body isn't just one big eye rolling down the street. That would be uniformity. The body is made up of many parts. The church of Jesus Christ is made up of many parts that come together to be unified, not to be the same thing, but to be different things around the same Savior, the same Spirit, the same one-mindedness. Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 4 says, any encouragement from being united in Christ, any comfort in, love, in his love, any common sharing of the Spirit, that unity, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. There's unity. Have the same love. Have one Spirit. Have one mind. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. How do we get disunified? When we put the spotlight on ourselves. When we make serving about ourselves, when we make anything about ourselves instead of about God and others, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. The Spirit purifies and the Spirit unifies. The third thing the Spirit does is reveals. It is the job of the Spirit to reveal to us what the Word of God has to say. It's, commentaries are important. Don't get me wrong. Explanations are important. They really are. But it is the Spirit of God that helps us to understand what God is saying in and through His Word. So again, in that Olivet Discourse, John 13 to 17, Jesus keeps talking again and again about this coming of the Spirit and what the Spirit will do when He comes. He says, all this I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and He'll remind you of everything I've said. I don't know about you, I need a lot of reminding. I'm putting little air tags on everything. I need reminders all the time. I need the reminder from the Spirit. What is it you said to me? What is it God wants me to know? He's the one who reminds us. John 15 says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. We'll learn about Jesus from the Spirit. John 16. This this passage is a little tongue-tangler. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak his own words. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is, what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. What is he saying in all this? God has the message. He gives it to the Son. The Son shares it with the Spirit. The Spirit shares it with us. He makes things known to us. And here's another beautiful thing. Jesus says, I know some of you, you you joined into Christianity because you were into it for the benefits. Guess what the benefits are? torture and martyrdom. Get ready. Bad times coming. You want to stand for the truth. People aren't going to always like you. This is one of the great myths of Christianity right now. If we did it right, everybody would like us. If everybody likes you, you're probably doing it wrong because the truth hurts. Truth hurts. It, It hurts to hear the convicting truth of what the Spirit of God has to say. And he says, sometimes when you're sharing that truth, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And guess what? You need to be on your guard. You're going to hand over to local councils. You're going to be flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to the Gentiles. And when you are arrested, do not worry about what you say or how you say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it, is, it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. In the moment that you're going, I don't know how to handle this, we're listening to the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit's going to fill in the blanks if we're willing to be used by Him. He's a revealer. Finally, the Spirit empowers. It is through the Spirit that we have the power to do all God's holy will. Acts 1.8, some of the kids this past week on Instagram 
quoted this, a gang of them quoting it out loud. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, when I leave, and by the way, this is the moment that he's taken up to heaven, ascension. Last thing he says to his people, the Spirit is coming in power, and Acts 2 happens, and Pentecost happens, and fire comes down from heaven, and everybody's going, what is going on here? This is amazing. And people who were common and ordinary, people who had turned their backs on Jesus suddenly with tremendous power are establishing the church of Jesus Christ in the world. He empowers us. He empowers us, which leads us some then to our relationship with the Spirit. Because the Spirit does want to empower us. How does He do that? How does it work? I think one of my favorite verses about the believer's relationship with the Spirit is found in Galatians 5.25. And part of the reason I love it is because it's not full of mystery and complexity. It's just very straightforward. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in the step with the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. It's been years and years and years and years ago now that I used to run. When we lived, I mean, not even in Shanahan. We were over in Joliet. I'd go out from our house, run by the church, down Black Road, down Essington, down Glenwood, circle back home. It was a nice three-mile loop. And one day, one day, a friend, we are going to run together. And I'm running with him, and, and it didn't take too many steps for me to realize he had a different running cadence than I did. His legs were longer. I have these nice Polish legs that are, you know, a lot of body, no leg. Anyway, I'm running, and, and, and he's running faster, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of catch the, how, how can I get in sync with him as we're running? And we came up to this curb, and I, and I stepped up, and bang, right in my side, this pain. I didn't know what it was. It lasted for a decade. I found the best way to get rid of it was to stop all physical activity. It went away. No problems anymore. But, but throughout that run, I'm trying to get in step, and it never quite happened. Beautiful picture. We're supposed to be running with the Spirit. Sometimes we want to get out ahead of the Spirit. Sometimes we want to drag behind the Spirit. The New Living Translation says, since we are living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If the Spirit is saying, go in that direction, go in that direction. Go at the pace of the Spirit. So there are three words that help us to understand our relationship with the Spirit. The first is baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, then the indwelling of the Spirit, and finally the filling of the Spirit. Let's look at baptism first. What's that all about? Baptism of the Spirit is that work whereby the Holy Spirit of God places the believer into unity with, into union with Christ and into union with other believers in the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. So the moment that you became a believer, you were baptized in the Spirit. That's when it happened. That's when the, that's when the baptism of the Spirit happened. Some people see it as a separate event. I become a believer and then later I'm baptized by the Spirit. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, that both are simultaneous. Now, some people look at it like, hey, but what about in the book of Acts? It seems like a separate event in the book of Acts. You know what? At times in the book of Acts, it is a separate event. Why is that? Because we have people who were already believers in God people who already had a relationship in God through Jesus Christ, but the Spirit hadn't come yet. And so when the Spirit arrives, God chooses in the book of Acts to reveal the fact that these people are included too. They're part of the body too. And the Spirit comes on them in a very visible way. 
But past that time, now we see that that simultaneous, I, I become a believer and the baptism of the Spirit takes place. We were all baptized by one Spirit to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or three, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. So there's the baptism. Then you have the indwelling of the Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the action by which God takes up permanent residence in the body of the believer in Christ Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go from saints. He'd empower them for service, but then might not be there anymore. The most classic example of this is King Saul. He's clearly anointed at the beginning of his reign, and there comes a point that God withdraws his Spirit from him, and he's actually tormented by evil spirits, to the point that when David's writing Psalm 51, what does he write? Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go. But in the New Testament, Jesus makes clear that that the Spirit lives with you. And after I am gone and the Spirit comes, He will live in you. He has a new role among us. He lives in us in the age of the church. Paul goes on to talk about this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And then he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He's saying, you don't go to temple. You are temple. Everywhere you go, you are temple. You take the Spirit of God with you. Everywhere you go, He indwells you. So at salvation, you're baptized in the Spirit, and you are indwelled by the Spirit. He's now living in you, which brings us to the filling of the Spirit. Why is filling different than indwelling? If I'm already indwelled, why do I need to be filled? The Spirit will never leave you. He is there completely. But His power can be full or it can be diminished. Ephesians chapter 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. New Living says, Don't get drunk with wine, because it'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful contrast he lays out here. Being, being drunk, being under the control of a substance versus being under the control of the Spirit of God. Is it any wonder that in Acts 2, when the fire came from heaven and the believers start speaking in tongues and you see the power going out from them, people looked and said, what are they doing drinking in the middle of the afternoon? Because they looked like drunkenness. They were under the control of something. The Spirit was controlling them. We should be so completely yielded so completely given over to the Holy Spirit that He can possess us fully and, in a sense, fill us. The Spirit indwells us in salvation, but His full empowerment can be inhibited. While He's fully with us, His power within us as individuals and as a church can be restrained. He can be grieved, and His activity within us can be quenched. When we allow this to happen, we do not experience the fullness of the Spirit's working and His power in and through us. To be filled with the Holy Spirit implies freedom for Him to occupy every part of our life, every role, all we are, everything about us. He occupies completely, guiding and controlling us. Then His power can be exerted through us 
so that we can do uh, what is fruitful to God, or in other words, we can fulfill all of God's holy will. The Bible refers to grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Here's the thing. You don't get to hold on to your sin. You don't get to hold on to my precious and God at the same time and expect the, holy, and expect the Christian life to work the way you think it should. We can't worship our sin and worship our Savior at the same time. He's telling us to, to yield, to give up, to let go of the sin. And when we choose not to let go of it, when we decide, I love this habit and I'm not letting go, the Spirit is grieved. It, the other translation here says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. We bring sorrow to the Spirit when we decide, no, I'm not letting go of my favorite sin. I'm holding on to it. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the Spirit. Quenching is a little different than grieving, grieving and, it, and it has to do with the sins of commission and omission. Commission is a sin I choose to commit. Omission are the things God's calling me to do that I say I don't feel like doing it. Sometimes the Spirit of God will be literally leading us to talk to somebody, to do something, to get involved in something. And inside we're going, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. And there comes a point that the Spirit, the Spirit is quenched in our life. The Spirit basically says, that's, that's God's holy will for you. And as long as you're not in the mood, you're not going to experience the power you're looking for. He wants us to follow Him, to walk in step with the Spirit, to follow His leading. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's filling. What, what is he saying here? I, reading different books about the filling of the Spirit. Everybody has like these, you know, seven steps to be filled by the Spirit. Fourteen ways you can be filled with the Spirit. You know what I read basically here? It's not possible to be filled with the Spirit if you're filled with something else. If you're, if you're filled with something other than the Spirit, he, he, he doesn't like mixed drinks. You know what I mean? He wants to be all and only, period. He's not looking to be mixed with something else. And so really, the filling of the Spirit comes down to this. Am I yielded to God? Am I living in obedience to Christ and His commandments? Or am I holding on to some sin, some sinful head pattern, some sinful behavior, or something that God says, that's not the way I work, and you're going, yeah, but that's not the God I serve. Well, we're going to have a hard time being filled with the Spirit when we're filled with something else. The fullness of God's Spirit will be proportional to our emptiness. When we finally confess our sin and are done with our sin, when we're finally not looking at the way that Christianity can, can do more for us and instead we're willing to be used by God, when we empty ourselves, when we yield ourselves to God, that is when we will finally experience the power of the Spirit that He longs for us. And so God, I pray that we would finally give up. We'd finally empty ourselves. We'd finally stop praying to be filled, longing to be filled, while we're full of things that don't mix with the Spirit. So God, today I pray that you would, you would give us the wisdom, the conviction, even the guilt to say I'm done with doing the wrong thing. I can't cherish God and my sin at the same time. I'm done. I want more of you. This, this life, this life is so short. It's a, it's a couple minutes and it's done. And we keep clutching things that, that in eternity just won't matter. This whole life is about you and fulfilling all of your holy will. 
pray that we would see that with vividness, that your spirit would show us that with vividness, and we'd give up all the things we're clutching, we'd let go, we'd yield in order that the spirit might be able to fill us fully and completely. Thank you for dwelling in us even when we don't act like believers. But Holy Spirit, it's not enough. We want to be filled. And so we give up today anything that's coming in the way of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Take that thought with you as you go to communion this morning. We walk to communion. We want it to be an intentional act. Not just a plate that comes by that we take as it goes by, but, but you've come to a point as you're taking that walk to say, I have examined myself. I have taken the time to confess sin. I want to be full of the Spirit. I want to be fully yielded to God. And so as we walk to communion today, tables at the front and the back, gluten-free on either side as well as a table in the back. Think about where you are in your walk with the Spirit. Power or lack thereof. What is it that you're holding on to as a replacement for the Spirit, as a replacement for God? And as we do, we're going to sing some beautiful songs reminding us of our, the relationship that we have with God through the Holy Spirit. Oh, Spirit of God, we sang the words, we pray the words. Breathe like the wind. Breathe like the wind. Come have your way. Whatever you want, God. Whatever you want, in us as individuals, in us as a church, breathe like the wind. Come have your way. What's holding you back? What's stopping you? We are. We are. Because we cherish our sin more than we cherish our Savior. Because we hold on to our ways of thinking instead of letting ourselves follow your way of thinking. Oh, holy God. This week, I pray that your spirit would convict us, convict us greatly. Show us the areas that, that we are holding back your power because we're holding on to something other than you. And then, God, give us the sense to let it go, to just let it go, to empty ourselves, to yield ourselves to you so that we might finally live the life you desire instead of depending on all the things in the world that we think are going to make us happy, we think are going to fix our problems, and they're not, and they don't, and they never have, and they never will. You're right there. You're right here. You're in us. Breathe like the wind. Come have your way. In the name of Jesus, amen.